0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson.
1: And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now this episode has been a while in the coming or the planning, hasn't it? Oh yes, oh yes. One of our Twitter followers, Multiverse Historian, has been requesting an episode about these characters and it's finally arrived. This is our Inferior 5 episode. Woohoo! If you listened last week, we did issue 121 of the Doom Patrol and published on the same day was the final issue of the Inferior Five's ongoing book. Final new issue, we should say. Issue 10, published on the 18th of July, 1968. So we're doing something a little different this week kind of in the same pattern as we did when we did our MF Enterprises Captain Marvel episode. Mm -hmm. Rather than read any of the stories from the Inferior 5 series, we're going to take a leisurely stroll through the series and highlight some of the stuff which we think means that it kind of falls into our criteria. Yes. There's a lot of references and a lot of fun, interesting stuff throughout. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, we're going to speculate a little bit about what Earth they might be on. Indeed, yes. And that sort of thing. So, Pete, say when did you first encounter the Inferior 5?
0: The Inferior Five was definitely in Showcase Issue 100. Right. I was fascinated by them then, I'll be honest. I love Showcase Issue 100. It's one of my favourite single issues of all time. I think I've said that before yes. on the podcast as well.
1: Yes, one we were looking very much forward to doing.
0: Yes, absolutely. And yeah, they're really fascinating characters then. So I had that first. And then I think possibly after that, it was Merry Man's appearance in Animal Man. Yeah. That's probably my next exposure to them, really. After that, I kind of tracked down a lot of the issues. This is probably late 80s early 90s i managed to track down most of the series i'm still missing a couple Mm -hmm. but i've had these i read them at the time but to be honest i've not really gone back to them Uh so my memory of them is really distant right i literally just had to skim through some of these in preparation for for this episode Uh so yes what about yourself
1: i can't remember i mean i remember seeing merry man in that issue of animal man but i didn't read that issue of animal man until about Late 92, early 93, probably, most likely. All right. I have a feeling it must have been at some point in that period in the early 90s when I decided I'm going to collect DC Comics and be committed to them for the rest of my life. Mm. I think it must have been then. I have no idea because it's not like they turned up in any of the JLA-JSA crossovers. It's not like they imagine? they featured in a Brave and the Bold or DC Comics Presents or anything. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Listeners, if you can remember when I first encountered The Inferior 5, do write in and let us know. So, The Inferior 5. It's an interesting comic. It's a humour comic, essentially, isn't it? It's more like uh Binky or Windy and Wonky or whatever they're all called. (laughs) The DC attempts at doing Archie, it's very much more like those, I think, than anything else. Mm -hmm. It's also quite similar in tone and it's irreverence to to Marvel's Not Brandech. Would you agree?
0: Yes, absolutely. Not Brandech, that was a Marvel satirical series, very much in the vein of Mad Magazine except mostly creating parody versions of their own heroes. They also did some parodies of DC heroes, or DC characters, which they refer to as Brand X in their letter pages, usually, in Marvel. And that's why this was called Not Brand X.
1: Ah!
0: uh, Because they're basically saying they're Marvel.
1: Yeah, see? So it's quite fun. I've got a couple of issues of Not Brandeck. I've also got the masterwork. Yep, me too. Which is was very, very expensive, but, you know, it was a complete run of the Not Brandeck and a nice hardback. Mm. You're not going to refuse that. Anyway. No. I don't think I'd actually consciously read an Inferior 5 mm-hmm. comic before we started our prep for this, but we shall see how we get on. So what we're going to do this week, listeners, is we're going to jump through each issue of Inferior 5 as it comes. Give you the publication dates as we go, and we're just going to talk about anything in those issues that we liked that's relevant to our mission statement, mm-hmm. anything worth highlighting. And we'll see how we go. So, the inferior five, they first appeared in issue sixty two of Showcase, published on the twenty fourth of March nineteen sixty six. PC, do you have that aforementioned issue of Showcase?
0: It is right in my hand, yes.
1: He's honing it up, listeners. Can you see? Look. Check it out. Exciting. So we're introduced in this story to a chap called Myron Victor, and he's the son of the Patriot and Lady Liberty of the Freedom Brigade. So straight away, we're introduced to a whole bunch of other superheroes, mm-hmm. the previous generation to the Inferior Five. So that immediately makes you think, right, we haven't seen any of these people before, which earth are they on, so to speak? I'll give you some descriptions of the Freedom Brigade because we get a really good shot of them at one point. Patriot looks like a cross between Uncle Sam and Superman. He looks very much like Uncle Sam, but he's got a cape. There's Captain Swift, who looks very much like the Flash. A couple of detailings are different. Mm -hmm. There's the Bowman, who's obviously based in Green Arrow, but has a touch of the spy smasher to him. Yes. There's Princess Power, see if you can guess who she's based on. Mr. Might, who has a kind of weird Superman-Flash costume combination, And then there's the Mermaid, who reminded me very much of Tarzak from the MF Enterprises Captain Marvel. Yes,
0: she does look very much like Tarzak. With the
1: fins on the head and all that. Uh Mm -hmm. And so basically this story involves the Patriot instigating a gathering of the children of superheroes to deal with a threat to the, the city that they live in. Myron visits an establishment called the Heroic Costume Shop, where he gets outfitted as Merryman. And then very quickly we meet the rest of the Inferior Five, who are the Blimp, Awkward Man, White Feather, and Dumb Bunny. And in this story, they go up against a chap called Dr. Gruesome. Pitsy, what's your thoughts on the first appearance of the Inferior Five?
0: Yeah, it's a really good set I love the new characters. The blimp is Captain Swift's son, and he's basically the opposite of what you'd expect the Flash to be. Yes. Because he's slow. He, he can fly, but basically he's, he's quite a large, fat chap. And he's wearing a a green costume with a Zeppelin as a logo on the front. And he's got this interesting headgear, which actually looks like the tail fins of a Zeppelin, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, His powers are he basically can float. (laughs) Uh, He can't really fly. He just kind of floats. Then we have Awkward Man, who is dressed very much in a dark blue sort of Batman-like costume Mm. with the same sort of cowl, but with floppier ears, to be honest. And he's got an A logo on his belt. And he's the son of Mr. Might and the Mermaid. His name, obviously Awkward Man, is both an explanation of just how clumsy he is and also a play on the name Aquaman because, obviously, he's the son of the Mermaid. Yeah. Then we have White Feather, who's the son of the Bowman, and he is an archer, funnily enough. And he's wearing a very kind of green arrow costume, except it's actually kind of orangey brown. Yeah. And he's got a white feather in his cap, funnily enough. And finally, we have dumb bunny and she's the daughter of princess power and she's wearing basically a bunny girl outfit except it's red she's got the initials db in her belt and she's got the bunny ears in her hair
1: she's probably my favorite character and, and not in a kind of pervy type way she's just really funny because she she's this sort of probably incredibly politically incorrect dumb blonde they probably wouldn't do her now I think to be honest you know they'd probably make her much more ironic and a bit cleverer really play up it was maybe it was all an act Merryman's costume he looks like a sort of court jester really doesn't he
0: yes uh imagine Woody Allen cosplaying Harley Quinn
1: yeah (laughs) that's a good way of putting it yeah there's no statement that they're on a particular off at any point in the series but it's very interesting that the, yeah. there are analogues of some very familiar superheroes right at the start so that maybe does suggest mm-hmm. that maybe on their own earth so
0: there's some nice fun moments where the dr Crusum uh, creates this robot made out of bathtubs and uh, an old wireless and a go-kart and all sorts of bits and pieces mm-hmm. that the team have to take down it's quite ridiculous and i do love it it's fantastic
1: <laughs> the team made their second appearance in issue 63 of showcase published on the 24th of may 1966, and this is the one with their Incredible Hulk parody, essentially. Yes. Dr. Grusom comes back, brings some pals with him. The Sparrow, the Speed Demon, the Masked Schwarztika, the less said about him the better, and the Silver Sorceress, which is uh, another name that DC will use again. Yes. This is when we first make a proper look at the, the Inferior Five's secret identities. Myron, who is Merryman, he works as a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Herman who is the blimp. He works as a chef. There's some really funny stuff in some of the stories with his diner. Yeah. Leander Brett, who is Awkward Man... He works as a beachcomber. Now, is there anything more, you know, can you think of anything more late 60s as an occupation? Actually, you can, because William (laughs) King, who is White Feather, he's a photographer, which is also an incredibly late 60s occupation. What I liked about him in this issue is he wears a shirt that makes him look very much like stripesy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We also learned that Dumb Bunny's real name is Athena Tremor, and she's a model. So that's another incredibly late 60s. Yes occupation and she's very much like you know it's a very cheesecake i suppose is the way you put it as sort a of approach to some mm-hmm. of the the time she appears this issue dr gruesome the baddie from the first appearance comes back there's a big fight between the inferior five and his gang of baddies and it involves a boxer called brute brainyard who gets struck with some radiation that comes from this grenade thing that's been built with dr gruesome and he becomes sort of the man mountain which is basically a hulk parody yeah. so straight away in the second issue we're getting a a riff on a very established mm-hmm. Marvel superhero at this point. And it's quite funny because Merryman takes him down by tapping him in the jaw. So that obviously ties into his <laughs> the boxer having a glass jaw type situation. So, Petey, yes. what's your thoughts on your second issue?
0: really enjoyed it. I think, to be honest, my favourite part is actually the splash page because you have in the distance the villains in the Man Mountain walking towards our heroes. And Merryman says, Don't let those five supervillains scare you. After all... What other crime-fighting combo is members who are swifter, smarter, and tougher than we are? <laughs> and the blimp says, Well, let's see. There's the Justice League. Awkward Man says, The Doom Patrol. <coughs> White Feather says, The Teen Titans. And Dumb Bunny says, The Campfire Girls. <laughs> Which just is really fascinating, because obviously they're establishing that these characters know about these other Superhero teams?
1: Yes. Basically, they're making the point that all of the other superhero teams are better than they are.
0: Yes. Including <laughs> the Campfire Girls.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we should really emphasize, these stories are really, really enjoyable.
0: Yes, uh uh-huh.
1: They're very funny. Mm-hmm. They are very charming. They're completely unlike anything else yeah. that's going on in any of the, the other DC superhero comics at this time. Mm-hmm. They really are very special. So the team turned up again in issue 65 of Showcase. Mm-hmm. Of course, issue 64 featured our pal, The Spectre. Issue 65, published on the 22nd of September, 1966. And this is an interesting one because the mm-hmm. Inferior Five get employed as teachers at Dean Egghead's Academy for Superheroes. And this is the X-Men parody yes. issue. But of course, they're not called the X-Men. They're called the Eggsmen, E-G-G-S. And this is tremendous because we basically meet analogues of the first five original X-Men. Mm-hmm. We meet Harry McElhinney, instead of hank mccoy and he's the ape you know very grotesque sort of exaggerated features Mm -hmm. we meet uh, irish autumns (laughs) instead of scott summers and he's called basilisk and he can basically he shoots i-beams right Mm -hmm. it's quite obvious what's going on there melvin murgatroyd the 14th (laughs) (laughs) who is icarus and that's obviously inspired by warren worthington the third yes aka the angel the next one's quite funny. Billy Gander. <laughs> <laughs> instead of Bobby Drake. Mm-hmm. And he is called Winter Wonder Lad. And then finally, we have Penelope Pink, who is Levitation Lass. Yes. And that tickled me as well, so instead of Jean Grey. <laughs> and our heroes in this issue come up against, instead of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, they come up against the fraternity of atavistic no good nicks. They're led by Doctor Dinosaur and have members including Frogman, Angelfish, Mr. Amoeba, and Tyranno Don Juan. (laughs) There's a funny reference to the Clancy Street Gang. So yeah, I mean, straight away, third issue, and we're getting the X-Men parody. Yeah, Very, very funny. The names are hilarious. Thoughts then, Peetzee?
0: Yes, I really enjoyed it. The twist in this is that the team aren't mutants. They're actually genetic throwbacks. Mm. They're not homo superior. They're throwbacks to a previous age. Like, Dean Egghead has got telepathy, but that's because he's... A throwback to a time when man could communicate through language. You know, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. So much fun. I must say here, the artwork is phenomenal. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's it Mike Sikowski in this. And it's very, very different from the Mike we've seen in Justice League. Uh-huh. And it's very cartoony, a lot of fun. All these stories, by the way, are by E. Nelson Bridwell. The first couple of stories were drawn by Joe Orlando and they were great. Yeah. But I think Mike Skowski is just having so much fun. Yeah. panels, the panels seem huge in this. But, you know, there's still tons of panels on the page, but it just seems Uh to have a much bigger scope. Yeah. There's a really funny scene where Awkward Man tries to leap a tall building in a single bound. Yes. There's two long panels as he leaps up, but he misses and he crashes through the window.
1: <laughs> yeah, a sequence, I think, which was completely ripped off by the Shazam movie, let's be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah, yes.
1: And the, the power training montage. So, yeah, So I wonder if uh-huh. I wonder if they read the NVIDIA 5 when they were preparing Shazam.
0: May well have done, may well have done. But yeah, lots of fun, and that showcase issue is sensational.
1: Yep, three issues of showcase, just like the Spectre. And then, of course, just like the Spectre, they got their own ongoing series, Issue 1, published on the 24th of January, 1967. Now, this is the issue that takes the mickey out of the man from Uncle. Oh, yes. Instead of Uncle, we spell out Competent Organisation Utilising Scientific Investigation for National Fiend Ruffian and Evildoer Defence. And what does that spell? Cousin Fred. <laughs> Get it? Cousin Fred, Uncle, you see? there we are. It's glorious. <laughs> this is the issue where we find out that Merryman's granddad was called Yellow Jacket. And he was assisted by someone called Plato So that was obviously a riff on the Green Hornet Yep,
0: and Cato, fantastic
1: I can't remember if the Avengers Yellow Jacket appeared by that point
0: There was a Golden Age Yellow Jacket anyway
1: Yes, of course, yeah mm-hmm. I'm just wondering from a Silver Age point of view I think Hank Pym's version probably had done it at that point mm-hmm. We meet the two key members of Cousin Fred Instead of Napoleon Solo We meet a guy called <laughs> Caesar Single And instead of Kuriakin, We meet a chap whose first name is Quitcher And his name is Bellyakin <laughs> And the big joke in this one, of course, is they're trying to defeat the evil forces of Hurricane who are spelt out as the heinous, unscrupulous rats and rogues initiating criminal anarchy and nefarious evil. So there we go. Issue one is the Man from Uncle parody. What are your thoughts on issue one? I really
0: enjoyed it. I'm a big Man from Uncle fan, actually. Yeah. But the funny thing is... The actual images of Mr. Waverley, Napoleon and Delia, I'll call them by, you know, they're actually, they're amazing, absolutely amazing. It's just great, great caricatures of them. Yeah, phenomenal.
1: Yeah, based on Robert Vaughn and David McCallum and Mm -hmm. whatever the other chap's name is, I can't remember. Leo G. Carroll. Yeah, it was was a real surprise reading that, actually. These books are very clever. Mm -hmm. It's not just cheap gags, you know, it's it's very well thought out. It's quite a sophisticated sort of level of humour that's going on. Yeah. I wonder how much of it went over the, the heads of the audience, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Not a kid's funny book by any stretch, I don't think.
0: Definitely not aimed at kids, I think. It's aimed more, as Marvel was, sort of at the college crowd, at the teenagers, the older readers. So yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So, issue one is The Uncle Parody. Issue two, published on the 16th of March, 1967. This is an interesting one because we meet some more Marvel analogues in this one. We meet a guy called George M. Coldham who composes fight songs for superheroes. Now, George M. Coldham, I couldn't work out who that was referencing. Could you work out who that was referencing? No, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be another famous songwriter of the time. It might be completely obvious. It might come to me in a dream one night. (laughs) Listeners, if you know, please let us know. So he basically writes fight songs for superheroes. And he turns up to, because he wants to punt one to the Inferior Five, Mm -hmm. and we learn that he has written for other superhero teams, including the Justice League of America, the Doom Patrol, the Challengers of the Unknown, the Teen Titans, the Sea Devils, the Legion of Superheroes, and we actually do see Invisible Kid make a tiny one-panel cameo. (laughs) He's written for the Metal Men, and he's written for the Blackhawks. So that's quite interesting, name-checking a whole bunch of other Mm -hmm. teams that we haven't had mentioned yet, you know, some of them that have been, so... Again, this, if you want, tells us that this universe that these comics are taking place in have some other teams and characters that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Our team need a new HQ, as everyone knows their meeting place is the, the one that their parents used. And Merryman sees an advertisement for offices to rent in the Batson building, uh-huh. which works on a couple of levels because it's obviously yes. a reference to the Fantastic Four's Baxter building, but also references Billy Batson, the original Captain Marvel. We meet Fantastic Four analogues Rod Rickard. Sophie and Bjorn Anderson and Jerry Drizzle. Is Bjorn Anderson not an ABBA? <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> Rod's a scientist, and his machine blows up, and he turns them all into the Fantastic Four. Yes. Their names are quite amusing, obviously riffing on the Fantastic Four characters. So we have Mr. Man Plastic, mm-hmm. Matchstick Kid, Vanishing Queen, and it, which is my favourite, <laughs> probably, because it's The Thing. Mm-hmm. They and the Inferior Five battle. A couple of characters are obviously based on Giant Man and the Wasp. A guy called King Size and his psychic, the Terrible Tetsy Fly. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Yes. They beat them and they have a big fight amongst themselves. But what's really interesting in this story, it ties into some of the stuff that we've done already on the podcast, is that mm-hmm. Plastic Man makes an appearance. And this way we should say that Mister Man Plastic, as he appears in this, I'm sure it's deliberate. Is very, very like the MF Enterprises Plastic Man. He is indeed. Who had black hair and wore a green and black unitard. Mm-hmm. Because Mister Man Plastic, as he appears in issue two of Inferior Five, looks very much like him. And when Plastic Man appears, he grabs a hold of Mister Man Plastic, and complains that he's sick to, <laughs> he's sick and fed up of all the copyists which I thought was genius. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Yep, That he's rocking up and sort of commenting, I think, clearly Mm -hmm. on what MF Enterprises were doing. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah. He might also be commenting on the Robbie Deeds Plastic Man as well when he turned into Plastic Man.
1: Uh, Yeah. And possibly even Ralph Dibney and possibly the actual Reed Richards as well. It's very interesting.
0: Yep. True. This is a fantastic issue. It's so much fun again. As you mentioned, this composer had written for uh, all these other superhero teams before. What's fascinating is he actually sings them (laughs) in the actual story and it tells you very much in Mad Magazine style what tune to sing it to. Yes. For example, the Teen Titans one is to On Wisconsin. Over there is the tune you have to sing the Doom Patrol song to. Song of the Vagabonds is the one for Justice League.
1: I wasn't too familiar immediately with a lot of the songs they reference. It's maybe a gap in my education. (laughs)
0: I'm aware of them, but I don't really know how they go. The main one we'll probably know is Stars and Stripes Forever, and that's Legion of Superheroes one. But certainly, you could probably Google or YouTube them and find out how the songs go. Yeah. But it's great fun. It reminds me of a young version of the Fiddler, to be honest. Because when he turns up, the first thing he basically does is he whip out a double bass, and then it's a fiddle. So, And I thought, oh, could it be this world's version of the Fiddler, pretty much?
1: Interesting. (laughs) That's going to give people ideas.
0: Tons of fun. And of course, just the look of King Size as well. It looks really goofy.
1: I really enjoyed that as well yeah
0: fantastic
1: so that's issue 2 issue 3 published on 18th of May 1967 this is the Tarzan parody issue mm-hmm. as a Burroughs fan I was quite amused by this <laughs> not least of all because Trantor the Elephant was renamed Tantrum which is a brilliant joke Superb. instead of Tarzan he's called Darwin and instead of John Clayton he's John Claypool and he's Lord Gravestone instead of Lord Greystoke instead of the fabled lost city of Opar there's the fabled Lost City of Umpa, which really made me laugh as well. So, um, issue three, the Tarzan parody. Nothing really that ties in anything else really to the, any of the other DC and Marvel characters, but as a Burroughs fan, I, I enjoyed that one immensely.
0: Yeah, I do like that his jungle headquarters is a treehouse that he built. Get ready for this, listeners. Under a full moon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take a drink. So, there we are. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to try and research this. I'm going to try and seek out a proper low-grade copy of that as a Tarzan fan. I think I'd quite like Mm -hmm. to have that in my collection. Listeners, if you're feeling generous, you know what to do. (laughs) One
0: of the things I love about this issue is there's a text page that says the fanatical fans squawk. And instead of publishing letters, what they've done is they've published a poem from a fan called Saga of the Inferior Five. Now, this takes up the entire page. Right. And it's quite amusing. I'm not going to read it out just now, but the poem is actually written by future comic writer Bill Mantlow. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I might put this up in the socials actually, so you can read it. So yeah, that's a, a lovely bonus. I mean, the Tarzan story is fantastic, but this kind of blew my mind when I read it because it's just so good, and he's got so much love for the title, and he's so talented. A nice little bonus for the for the readers there.
1: So issue four, then published on the eighteenth of July, nineteen sixty-seven, and this is the Thor issue. <laughs> Where we meet this version of Thor, who's not like the Marvel version of Thor anyway whatsoever. No. He's red haired with a with a beard and his hair's pleated. Odin sends some Valkyries to get some new heroes, and they get the inferior five. Loki turns up as well. Loads of Asgardian stuff. Lots of fun. Basically, Thor parody issue. Pete, see what's your thoughts?
0: I think possibly my favourite thing about this is <laughs> it's again genuinely really funny, but. <laughs> There's a chariot driven by two giant house cats in it, which I find absolutely hilarious. Just the artwork on that panel. As someone who has two house cats that are not giant <laughs> uh, <laughs> That really touched me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Cool. It's not as quite as you know, referencing Thor and all that is they're having a bit more fun. It's not quite as on the nose as the mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four and, and Hulk parodies. Yeah. Thor comes back.
0: And it's worth saying as well that in, in the letters page for that one, uh, there is a letter from again future comic pro Mark Ivaniar. Oh right. So yes, all of the future comic writers seem to love Inferior 5.
1: Interesting, because he was obviously, in my experience, associated with quite a few sort of humor books. That's that's Mm -hmm. quite quite interesting. Yeah,
0: guru writer. Uh
1: Issue 5 then, published on the 19th of September, 1967. The Inferior 5 end up in Paris during the French Revolution. And instead of meeting the Scarlet Pimpernel, they encounter the Crimson Chrysanthemum. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's no superhero analogues or anything, but it's a very fun and enjoyable story.
0: There's a character in this one called Sir Chauncey Barclay, who kind of looks like a colourful version of the Earth 2 villain, the wizard, mm. which quite amused me. Although he has a monocle. A combination between the wizard and the character of the monocle, actually, now that I think of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe he's their illegitimate child <laughs> <Yeah>. somehow. <laughs> Issue 6, this is a deep one. Here we go. This is one of these ones we're very grateful for the the diligent research that's gone on in Mike's Amazing World of Comics and for identifying a lot of the people that pop up in this issue. (laughs) So issue six published, oh, on the 23rd of November, 1967, on Doctor Who's fourth anniversary. (laughs) Right, a lot to go through in this one. The Inferior Five introduced the comic, saying that they've had requests for a complete examination of how an issue of the magazine is produced. The requests apparently come from the editor, writer and artist. It's all very fourth wall breaking. Yes. What I like most about this... (laughs) There's a scene with some placard-carrying hippies outside the DC (laughs) Comics offices, and one of them has a sign that says, Make make up Comics. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, we basically meet Johnny DC. They don't name him as such, but it's obvious Mm -hmm. who he is. But we follow Johnny DC as he goes to visit Jack Miller, who's the editor, and basically the rest of the issue is essentially a caper through the DC offices. Mm -hmm. We encounter several DC staff members, in no particular order, Jack Miller, Erwin Donfield, E. Nelson bridwell as Pete says, the writer, yep. Barbara Friedlander, Robert Kaniger, Shakespeare, hey. <laughs> Julie Schwartz himself, Mort Weisinger, George Kashtan, Murray Boltonoff, Mike Sikowski, Carmen Infantino, Mike Esposito, Jack Schiff, Jack Adler, Saul Harrison, Gail Kane, and Joe, I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, Laterez. And we also get cameos from Robin... Batman, and very briefly, Stanley's Monster, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of issues of Stanley's Monster, including one when he wears oh. Superman's uniform on the cover. Excellent. So that's a lot of fun. Issue 6, amazing, just to see so many DC folk being represented. What's your thoughts on Issue 6, Peter?
0: Yeah, it's very inside baseball, for lack of a better expression. As we said earlier on, this isn't written for kids. This is written for a slightly more mature audience.
1: Yeah, a very savvy audience that, that knows what's Late going teens. on.
0: Yeah, yeah. huh It feels very much like a reaction to the Marvel bullpen.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: And how that was portrayed in Marvel Comics. It's almost like, well, if they can do that, then this is DC. This is what we're doing. And hey, look, we're fun too, kids. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating and it's a really cool concept. And to be honest, we've mentioned before in the show a few times when we have had comic pros turn up in stories. Yes. And this one is egregious. Yes, the entire reason for this issue is that, and it's phenomenal. It's great fun.
1: Yeah, this is the point where we speculate about Earth Prime being involved, mm. isn't it? Really?
0: Yeah, huh, absolutely.
1: We've gone with that conceit that whenever a writer, or artist, or editor mm-hmm. pops up, that's their version's in Earth Prime. You know, it's probably not really you know breaking the fourth wall, but we're, we're kind of we're buying into it because it lets us cover. A couple of more comics here now that we might not have done. Indeed. Which is obviously why we chose issue 121 of Doom Patrol to mm-hmm. highlight that series because of the cameos. It just adds a whole other level to the whole series, a whole level of self referential type cleverness, I think, and it works really, really well.
0: It certainly does. And also, the cover is astounding. Yep. Because it's a plain white cover. You've got the, the Inferior Five in the middle, and they're surrounded, surrounded by a whole horde of DC heroes. You've got Batman Robin. Aquaman, Flash, Martian Manhunter, Hawkman, you've got Plastic Man there, Green Lantern, the Atom, the Metal Men are there, Black Hawk's there, I think that's Robot Man in the back there, you've got Superman and Superboy, they shouldn't be together, right? that shouldn't happen. Uh huh. And they're all surrounding the the Inferior Five on this amazing cover, it is beautiful.
1: It's a cracker. Mm Mhm. Yeah, so look forward to the cover of issue six when it goes up on the socials, Mm -hmm. if it hasn't done so already. We move on then to issue seven. Oof, (laughs) this is a dense one as well. Published on the 23rd of January, 1968. So, to summarise. An abortive and backfiring attempt to save an old lady from being mugged sees the Inferior Five follow the mugger into the sewer system. Among the people they meet (laughs) in the sewers are Thor, to whom they give a makeover. (laughs) Thor that they met a couple of issues ago. And he ends up blonde. And soon after they meet a character called Prince Nabob, who is obviously referencing the Submariner, mm-hmm. Prince Namor. And he pulls the plug in the sewer, which gets rid of the an alligator and some sharks and an ugly mermaid that were hassling them all. They, he is given the, the name the Submoron <laughs> instead of the Submariner. And the Moron is looking for Thor on behalf of someone called Stanley. Ah. Just spelled S-T-N-L-U-I. Yes, do you see what they did there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Soon after they meet the Submoron, they meet a guy called Iron Pants, who's yeah. obviously based on Iron Man, and he's also looking for Thor on behalf of Stanley. And in rapid succession, the Infinity Five see a bunch of characters, including Mickey Mouse, Spy Versus Spy from the Mad Comics, Stanley needs monster, wow. the Fox and Crow, and they meet someone called the Cobweb Kid. <laughs> And he's also looking for Thor Mm -hmm. on behalf of Stanley. There is some actual plot in the story, including Dr. Diabolical, but we're not really going to talk too much about that, really. The old lady from the start is revealed to be the cobweb kid's aunt Meg. So Uh full on with the Marvel references again in issue seven. It's astonishing. I know. know, I was not expecting any of this in this. It's phenomenal stuff.
0: (laughs) Again, the letters page has got a letter in it from a future comic pro, Carl Gafford, this time. (laughs) <laughs> right, cool. I think my favourite bit of this is possibly when the sub moron appears and he's trying to remember his catchphrase. <laughs> yes. He's basically <laughs> shouting out Tyrannosaurus Rex. Hmm, that doesn't sound <laughs> right. Oedipus Rex. Rex Harrison. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep.
0: It's hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's it's brilliant. And if you know obviously if you know Namor, if you're they're assuming that everyone that's reading this comic is gonna be familiar with the characters that they've been lampooning. Uh-huh. It's it's very clever. The references to Stanley mm-hmm. are incredibly on the nose. They're very, very funny. Yeah.
0: If this was your first comic, you would be lost completely. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. It feels very postmodern in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. It's casting a wink to the viewer, the reader, the listener, you know, Absolutely. whatever. yes. They're hoping that the reader's going to get what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe more so than DC trying to do Not Brand Death. This is DC trying to do Mad more than anything else, isn't it?
0: Yes, I entirely agree with that. And at one point, the Inferior Five are imprisoned in giant bell jars, which, in a callback to last week's episode, there was a famous scene in the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol issue where the negative spirit was encased in a spirit-proof bell jar.
1: <laughs> That's a nice coincidence. You could, we couldn't have planned that yeah. if we tried.
0: Gosh. There you go. Yeah. No, I love that. That's created by the character quiz. That's Again, it's from the Brotherhood of Dada. Again, one of my favourite stories, as I said last yeah. week. Grant's Doom Patrol is A-list for me. So yeah, I know it's so well. I was
1: talking to Vincent earlier today and he's offering to lend me the Grant stuff that I haven't read. I am resolving to read some more Doom Patrol off the back of those two episodes that we've done recently. I know it will happen. Yay, cool. So we're on to issue eight now, published on the twenty-first of March, nineteen sixty-eight. All oh, twenty-three years to the day before my high school leavers dance. There we go. <laughs> An interesting one. This Megalopolis, which is sort of revealed as the city that it seems everything's taking place in, has been swamped in junk. The five get involved when Herman, A.K.A. the Blimp, his diner is caught in the mess. Basically, the whole city's just been swamped in rubbish and trash and what have you. Dr. Gruesome, who was last seen in Showcase 63, he's at the top of the rubbish pile, and he's a plan to attack the United Nations with an atomic egg. And needless to say, he's foiled. Nothing too much else for me to say about issue 8, a- Pete
0: No, this is a weird one. This is almost like a Plastic Man story. Mm. There's less actual parody of things in it. It's more just, let's just do a fun comedy superhero thing with maybe a little touch of social commentary about the junk the yeah. and it doesn't really have the same kind of flavour as the rest of the series at least so far anyway but yeah
1: yeah, it's definitely the most sort of linear and sort of plot-driven of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, there's no parody stuff going on. It's it's like, what if the Inferior Five didn't have the, the parody stuff in it at all and was a straightforward, funny superhero comic? Mm-hmm. It's still very good, though. The artwork's gorgeous. Yeah. Huh? We talked recently when we were doing some issues of the Spectre and you were sort of seeing how Jerry Grandinetti's work reminded you of some of the EC comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a similar sort of level of detail, I think, to some of the stuff in issue 8. Yeah, definitely. It's slightly cartoony and caricatured, but the quality of the illustration mm-hmm. is phenomenal. It's
0: when Mortimer's the artist on it at that time. All right. We've had a few artists.
1: We move on now to issue nine, published on the 16th of May, 1968. And again, another one without any parody elements, very straightforward story. A jewel is stolen from a museum by aliens who need it to charge their mind control devices. There we go. That's my one-sentence summary of issue nine. Pete say anything to add. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, again, this issue is... It's fun and it's entertaining, but it doesn't drag you in the way the earlier issues did, as if you were in on the joke. Yeah. It's more like, here's a joke. It's fine, but it, it just doesn't grip you quite as much. There's an interesting bit where Dumb Bunny has to kiss Awkward Man to get him out of this uh, trance that he's in. And uh-huh. a good comedic bit where he kind of like floats up in the air and bangs his head after it <laughs> happens, because he's kind of swept off his feet. Yeah. As I said, it's it's kind of, by the numbers, not hugely exciting.
1: I was sort of wondering by this point if Dumb Bunny was a sort of play on sort of you know the, the Goldie Hawn sort of persona.
0: Very much so, I think, yeah. Huh?
1: That sort of open mouth finger at the chin, sort of dumb blonde sort of caricature, I suppose. Yeah. Issue nine. Look out for the cover on the socials. So we now arrive at issue ten, which as I said at the top, was published the same day as Doom Patrol issue one hundred and twenty-one. Now I've written a slightly more detailed summary for this one. Yes. Earth is invaded by little green aliens and a call goes out for superheroes. And as well as the Infinity 5, we see clearly Superman. We see the Sub-Moron again, the Cobweb Kid again, and the Cookie Quartet, which is the name that they gave to the, the Fantastic Four equivalents yes. when they appeared. And they basically look like the Fantastic Four. Yeah,
0: literally. And obviously uh-huh.
1: the Cookie Quartet is a reference to Captain America's team in the Avengers when it's him and Hawkeye and Wanda and Quicksilver. That's another reference there. But they basically they look like the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. What do it? Looks like the thing this time. You know, he's not the brown yeah. lumpy. He's the orange Rocky guy they're all wearing the blue outfits so that joke is much more on the nose
0: but they've got a queue for quartet as yeah. opposed to a four and they're low. that's the only difference really Yeah.
1: the bulk of the comic is taken up with a lot of nonsense involving the Marvel parody heroes because the aliens have powers of hypnotic suggestion which they use against the, the Marvel heroes and the inferior five they can't stop the aliens thankfully of course Superman spots what's going on whilst he's having another battle of his own and draws the aliens away by creating a vacuum he does it at such a speed that no one can see it he returns the aliens to the spaceship and they leave. And then the series finishes with the five breaking out of the hypnotic state that the aliens put them in and the Marvel analogues waiting to cover them in tar, paint and feathers. They're like hiding around the corner. The final panel is glorious. <laughs> They're all waiting just to ambush them and mix them up. So that's how it goes out. The great thing about it is just that it's so clearly Spidey in the FF this time.
0: Yeah, there's no divide to yeah. I do like how the cobweb kids is basically quite paunchy. <laughs> yes. That's always quite amusing to me. This is back to the proper parody of what we had before. And it's all the better for it, to be honest. It kind of reminds me of the scrolls, the aliens
1: coming in. I can see that.
0: Very much in that sort of look. But I think my favourite thing in it isn't anything to do with the parody of the characters or any of the Marvel analogues or Superman turning up. I think it's when the aliens first land and there's a cow there and the cow goes moo. And there's a wee asterisk that gives you a translation that says, Yao, a flying saucer. Then <laughs> he says, moo, again in the next panel. And again, asterisk saying, I better blow. Saucers mean food, and food means steak, and that means me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he basically starts to dig a hole and try and hide in this hole. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the third panel he goes, moo, again. and it, And that means... They've got horns, but they ain't my people. It's hilarious. Genuinely hilarious. Yep. Uh, I love those three panels. It's cracking stuff. And it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah.
0: And obviously when the scrolls first debuted in the Fantastic Four story, at the end of that story, they were hypnotized into turning into cows. Yes. And I wonder if that's a wee subtle reference there. I'm probably reading far too much into this, but I wonder if that's a subtle reference there as well.
1: That's it, then, for the Inferior Five, as far as their ongoing book. Yeah. they revived briefly for a couple of reprint issues in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And as Peter said at the top, we see them in issue 100 of Showcase. So we will see them again in the podcast. Mm-hmm. We're now going to have a little light-hearted debate about which Earth the Inferior Five could be on. The presence of people yeah. like Superman, so clearly Superman, the references to like Invisible Kid mm-hmm. and the Challengers, makes me think that, in a way, this is the regular Earth One, but seen through a filter.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: In the same way that Torchwood was set in the same universe as Doctor Who, but had a lot more <laughs> sexy stuff than Doctor Who ever did. Same universe, different feel of the stories, but the appearance of all the Marvel characters, yeah, you know, the Marvel-esque characters, mm-hmm. obviously heightened, obviously parodies, makes me think, were they set on their own Earth? I'm not sure.
0: And you did throw Earth Prime into the mix of course. earlier on as well. Exactly.
1: Now, yes. I think I'm right in saying that you spotted in the, the Crisis Companion, in the big oversized Crisis mm-hmm. Infoilus Hardback, that Earth-12 was allocated...
0: Yes, for this and the Plastic Man stories yeah. as well that we've covered.
1: Our Twitter pal, Multiverse Historian, he has indicated in the past that he is convinced that Plastic Man and the Inferior Five are all on Earth-12. The fact that Plastic Man pops up in an Inferior Five story, in a story mm-hmm. that's very much like, the sort of, as you said, the whole feel is very much like Plastic Man's comic. Yes. We're sort of sat going, go right, so where does this Earth-12 reference come from? Because there's nothing in any of these stories mm-hmm. that says Earth-12. I'm digging about. The only possible thing I can find is that there's a series, which I'm not sure if we've decided if we're going to do it yet or not.
0: It's quite far off anyway. We've got a long time to decide.
1: (laughs) Captain Carrot and the amazing zoo crew in the Oz Wonderland War. Yay. We might do it because it features Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. We'll see. We'll certainly talk about it more at some point. And the final page, or the final issue of that series, has the the Inferior Five bursting into Captain Carrot's civilian identity. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's sitting, drawing at his desk, whatever. And they all arrive and... It turns out that they're looking for Earth 12. Or are we on Earth 12? Is this Earth 12? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that is the root of people sort of speculating that Earth 12 is the appropriate Earth for the Inferior Five. What's your thoughts on this?
0: Possibly the origin of the name, Earth 12, but certainly they're definitely on a different Earth. Yeah. Mike's Amazing World of Comics is a website that we reference quite a bit. And Mike suggests that they are on Earth 1. Mm. But I think the only way this works is if they are on their own Earth with Plastic Man. With a version of Superman, with a version of the Challengers, with a version of Doom Patrol, with a version of all these Marvel heroes, and let's call it Earth-12. That's fine. Anything can happen. Yeah, I think that's it. Mm -hmm.
1: Nothing in the the Oz Wonderland page to say that they're trying to get home to Earth-12. They might just be trying to get to Earth-12 for a reason, because they're on a mission and something happens. But you're right, if we're going to randomly assign a number of an Earth that the Inferior Five live on, it may as well be Earth-12. Why not? There's nothing in the stories to say that they're not on Earth-12. And of course, as we talk about legacy on this podcast, we should also mention the more recent aspect or version of the Inferior 5 that was published by DC in 2019 and 2020. And it was intended, I believe, as a six-issue miniseries, but it was cancelled after four issues and the trade paperback was published that collected all six. Now, it doesn't really bear any real relation to the Inferior 5 that we've seen or we've talked about today. It's very Keith Giffen. There's backup strips with Peacemaker, who's Flavor of the Week at the moment. And the series seems to be sort of set in the wake of the Invasion miniseries from the, the late 80s. Mm doesn't really tie in at all, but we're still going to put the covers and the cover of the trade paper back up on the socials. <laughs> yes. Because content is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Have you read that series, Pete, yourself?
0: I read the first issue and I've got the trade, but I've not actually read it. Not yet, not yet.
1: Maybe if we ever summon up the energy or find an extra 300 hours in every day and we do a, a Patreon, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll talk about that series. Maybe. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Keith Giffen.
0: Oh, me too,
1: yeah. He's definitely an acquired taste for me. It took a long, long time for me to sort of develop an appreciation for what he does, but I'm a huge fan, so... um, And I picked the trade paper back up mm-hmm. very recently. Got a copy in, in Forbidden Planet Glasgow. I'll give it a look at some point. So, yeah.
0: There's one more appearance in Fear 5 I want to mention, and that is... Is there? Yeah. <gasps> they appeared in an issue of the revived Brave and Bold title by JMS.
1: Of course they did. I read it last yeah. night. How could I have forgotten? <laughs>
0: It's part of a two-part story. It's a time travel story. And the first part of the story is a team-up with the Legion of Superheroes and the Doom Patrol. The Doom Patrol? Yes. How very timely. And the Legion of Superheroes.
1: We should do an episode about the Doom Patrol. Oh, we have, right. So we should do an episode about the Legion of Superheroes. Yes, let's think of an excuse to do the Legion of Superheroes again.
0: Yes. (laughs) But in the second issue of that two-part story, there's a team-up between the Legion of Substitute Heroes and the Inferior Five. That's right. Yes, of course. And it's great fun. They go back to the time of the inferior five and at the end of the story they kind of bring them forward in time to the present yeah and nothing ever happened with it
1: i know that's right yes i remember thinking that
0: which is a shame
1: such a shame i don't know was jms setting them up for a, another ongoing series that he was going to walk away from three quarters <laughs> of the way through don't know
0: also in the in the angel and the ape miniseries i think that we mentioned previously when we we're talking about the green glob who appeared in mm. it dumb bunny appears in that and oh really
1: she is related to Angel that's interesting yes. that's some nice continuity yeah huh? so that's probably it for the 5 unless we think of something else in the next couple of days and I have to record an insert on Dropbox and send it to Peter in the middle of the night
0: <laughs> again
1: yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a red letter day at the Earth 2 podcast isn't it Peter yes we've had our first email we've had an Nearly two years of this, and we finally had an email.
0: From someone who isn't trying to sell me podcast promotional material. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and it's from listener Alec Bretner. Hi, Alex. Hello, Alex. Uh, And he says, hello, Peter and David. I've been listening to your podcast since your debut episode, and I keep coming back to it because I really do admire and appreciate the show. I listen to a lot of comic book podcasts, and in my experience, yours is completely unique. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) While some other sites either touch on the Silver Age or perhaps a character from this period in the regular show, no other podcast covers the ground that you guys do. Your plan to go through the Silver Age issue by issue is an undertaking of monumental proportions, and it reminds me of Dave Sims' task of self-publishing 300 issues of the Cerebus comic book.
1: We're going to have more than 300 episodes, there's no doubt. Possibly, <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, we will, yeah. He succeeded, and I have no doubt that you will as well. Every episode you complete takes you a bit further along this fascinating road. I am a very long-time comic fan, and I was actually collecting some of these Silver Age comics as they were being published. So, when you gentlemen start reading the comic your episode is discussing, I either go into my collection and pull the book out, or, if I don't own the issue, I go onto the net and track down a copy and read the comic along with you while you're both doing the dialogue. This is the part of your podcast that, to me, is the most fun, and it's <laughs> obvious from listening to you both that you're totally enjoying yourself with the project. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of these Silver Age stories may seem ludicrous or strange to modern readers who have grown up on the deconstructed comic form of storytelling, but their eccentricity is their charm. Absolutely. They are from a much simpler comic book time, and they can and should be appreciated on a different level, and the enthusiasm that you both show prove that this can be done in a totally compelling way. So please guys, keep pushing forward, and rest assured that I will keep listening as long as you keep producing this totally singular podcast. Thank you, Alex. That's lovely, fantastic. That's
1: very kind. Thank you, Alex. Gosh, it's good to know that someone's listening. (laughs) Indeed, and we're not just firing this out into the void. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. So, yes, listeners, if you're feeling generous and want to give us some some nice, lovely feedback, where can the email us, Peter? You can email us, like Alex, said, at
0: the earth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up lots of bonus material for this very episode yep. and indeed all our episodes on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the earth2podcast and on Twitter. We're at podcast underscore earth2. And it is the number
1: two for all of our sites. Yep. If you're feeling generous, you could go to our coffee page and buys the price of a beverage if you're feeling more generous you could help our algorithms by going to wherever it is that you receive your podcast and leaving a positive glowing review that would be lovely a little different again this week we we'll wouldn't be able to mix it up the last week or two indeed yes
0: but what are we going to do next week tune in find out
1: yeah you'll just have to wait and see what's lined up for next time
0: and in that bombshell on this inferior episode I've been Peter
1: <laughs> by definition yes who have I been I've been David amazing <laughs> we'll see you soon <laughs> on the Earth, the Earth 2, two podcast. podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Soupy twist.